0: I'll be sharing a little bit about uh, uh, my work just in the beginning. And just so that you can see, I'm, I'm still a, very much a, a practicing scientist. I'm not just a scientist that uh, that just uh, writes popular books. So my, my, my professional website is jmtour.com. And I have some social media links at drjamestour.com. And you can you can pick up some social media links there. All right. So these are these are some areas that we work on in our group just to take you through this quickly and then we'll get into the scriptures. But just so that you can see that I I work in these areas, we're in an area called laser induced graphene. This is being able to take any surface. Here's a piece of bread. Here's a coconut and turn it into graphene. Graphene are one atomic thick sheets of graphite that are this new space age material that allow you to uh, have a conductive material. and and be able to, to uh, uh, just draw these amazing patterns directly on surfaces this way. Uh, so the, the other thing is that we work, and, and this is actually gonna spawn five companies. It's one company now, but it'll at least spawn five different companies because the, the, uh, the, the applications of this are just enormous. There's, there's two or three papers a week coming out now on laser-induced graphene, and we published our first paper in the area in uh, 2014, so it's really taken off. This is graphene nanoribbons that we make by splitting open carbon nanotubes. This is being used in another company to rebuild spinal cords. Uh, this is a uh, transparent memory. This is something that uh, Dr. Jun Yao, who just introduced me, something that he worked on. In fact, these are these are his fingers holding this, and and uh, uh, this is now this is now a company uh, that's going and up and running. And then we work in this area, which is. Uh, um, Uh, an area of traumatic brain injury and stroke with carbon nanoparticles. And uh, that's a company that's probably gonna start this year, uh, very close to starting. Uh, We work in this area of of flash graphene. This is a paper we recently published this year and that company's really taking off. That's being able to convert in bulk anything that's carbon into graphene in 10 milliseconds. And uh, uh, and, and the, the amount of energy is very low because all the energy goes into the material through a flash fuel heating system. And uh, so we can even take, uh, for example, uh, waste plastic and convert it into graphene. And so that's a tremendous upcycling, taking something that has near zero value and pushing it to something that right now sells for $67,000 to $200,000 per ton, but uh, someday before too long we'll we'll sell, the, the price will come down and it's going into a lot of materials. The other thing that we've learned how to do from waste plastic is turn waste plastic into an absorbent for both co2 and for many other materials as well this is graphene quantum dots this is in another company now this is being used in in anti-counterfeiting to to tag materials with a fluorescent material that you can't even see but then you can authenticate that it's the real thing by putting on these little lights a little light over it and it gives you the authentication pattern Uh, This is uh, graphene with carbon nanotubes growing out of it. This has turned into a battery company, which is uh, here in Houston, and uh, uh, very good uh, lithium metal batteries. This is for the anode side and on the cathode uh, running sulfur uh, cathodes on this. We know how to print 3D print graphene. We've made these little nano cars, which are two nanometers by three nanometers, so we can park about 50,000 of these across the diameter of a human hair, just the diameter and uh, they have little motors in them, and, and uh, uh, when these motors are activated, uh, they'll spin and they'll push the car across the surface. We've taken the motors, which are called these motors, and we've, we've had them cell associate with a peptide. Once they associate with a cell membrane, then we turn them on and they drill through the cell and kill the cell. This is the superbacterium. Superbacteria are slated to kill 10 million people a year by the year 2050. If we don't get a handle on them, and they drill right through the the, uh, cell wall, the the bacterial cell wall. Uh, So able to do that, they're very good at killing eukaryotic cells. This is going right through the cell membrane, cancer cells as well. And that's a company that's recently started. So you see that we work in this broader range of areas. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to just talk about my career because I'm a practicing scientist and what the Word of God has meant in my career. The Word of God has taught me, I have this admonition through the Word of God to change my words and to change my actions. The things that I do need to change because of the Word of God. The Word of God teaches me to change my ways, to make me into more conf- in, in, to conform into what God would have me be conformed into. For example, it says in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. The Scriptures clearly tell us that we will find favor in the sight of God and in the sight of man if we don't let kindness and truth leave us. So, many instances, you know, I, I can be very intense and in, in, in pushing projects along. And God continues to remind me through the Scripture, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind it around your neck and write it on the tablet of your heart. It has a lot to do with the words that I use. I have to speak with kindness. The Word of God admonishes me to speak with kindness, and when I violate that, I'm I'm obliged to apologize. Uh, uh, Actions and words, particularly toward women, that could be misconstrued. I have to be careful what I would say. I have to be careful what I do. My words and my actions, particularly toward women, that, that might be misunderstood. Where did I learn this? By meditating on the Word of God. I have a practice. So I got, I got saved 40, almost 43 years ago. Forty-two and a half years ago I got saved. And for over 40 years I have read the Scriptures every day. And generally what I do is I start in the book of Revelation and I read all the way through till I... Fit, I I'm sorry, start in the book of Genesis. I read all the way through till I hit Revelation, finish Revelation chapter 22, and then I go back to Genesis chapter 1. And I read through the Bible and I just do that over and over again. I'm not rushed. I take my time and I say, Lord, speak to me, speak to me. And sometimes I can spend a week just in a paragraph in Scripture till I feel satisfied with it and then I move on. And the Word of God speaks to me. The things that I do, for, for example, I can tell you examples from my own career. I remember when I got my first computer. My first computer was a, uh, uh, I had a Mac SE, a Mac SE uh. uh what it does is it, it, it had about one megabyte of RAM. It was a great computer. And uh, I was able to, to uh, 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 copy some documents, shut that, and then open Word back up and paste into those documents. It was it was amazing what could be done. That was all new to me. And, uh, uh, and then I bought software for it. And then the next year when we got another computer, we got a Mac SE30 because computers really got better and better year after year, just in, in a single year back then. And uh, this was back in about 1988 when I first started my my independent career and and uh, and then I bought another set of software for that. And the next year we got another computer, another set of software for that, because in those days the rule was one computer, one set of software and computers didn't speak to each other in those days. And and uh, uh, I called up Microsoft and I called up ChemDraw and they both said, no, one computer, one set of software. And so my colleague came in, he says, why are you buying so much software? Just take this software and put it on that computer. I said, you can't do that. You can't, because, because I called the companies and they say you can't do that. And so I lived uprightly. And I'll tell you one of the things that happened. I would get calls at the end of the year, at the end of the fiscal year, from program managers. They would call me up, they'd say, Jim, I have some extra money, can you use it? I'm like, yeah, how, how, how quickly would you like it spent? I can certainly use it. But what happens is when we live uprightly, When we live uprightly, what happens is is it causes us to to walk in the favor of God and God blesses us. I never want to have software that I don't own. If it's something that we need, we'll buy it. I don't want to violate the things of God. The Word of God has taught me this. You condemn yourself. For you who judge, practice the same thing. We have to be really careful about judging other people in this when we ourselves might be practicing the same thing. I had the admonition to value my family. The scriptures taught me how to be a father, taught me how to be a husband. The admonition to value my family it says in Proverbs, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's what the scriptures say, that, that I'm to rejoice in my wife, that this is a treasure for me. And it values, I'm, I'm supposed to place this very high value upon my wife. And I learned this from the scriptures. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, train up a child in the way, she, way he should go. Uh, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So I needed to train up my children in the ways of God. This is something that I needed to do. So we had daily times with the family. All my kids are, are grown now. Uh, but we had daily times. So from the time that they would come home from the hospital, we'd, I'd just take them out of the crib and, and uh, uh, we'd have family devotions together. So i wake up my children at... Uh, and I have four children. I'd wake them up at 5.30 in the morning. And so I would wake up Early, I'd have my own time and devotions in the Lord. My wife did the same. And then I'd wake up my family, the kids at 5.30, and we'd all gather in the family room. And I would read the scriptures to them from Hurlbut's story of the Bible, which tracks with the Bible. H-U-R-L-B-U-T apostrophe S, Hurlbut's story of the Bible. And they'd just read that to them. And then we would practice scripture memorization together. And then what we would do is is we would just get, get on our knees and pray together. And that's the pattern that we had in our lives, and we had these daily times because I had the admonition to teach my children the Word of God, and I took that very seriously. And so I would leave my house at six in the morning, and uh, but I had from five thirty to six a.m. was with my children. And I remember when my daughters grew older, when they were leaving the home, I asked them independently, I asked them each independently, what are you going to remember most about this family? And both of them said, uh, "Our, our family times together in the Lord. Uh, And and so many distractions come at night. If you try to have family time at night, it's very hard. You get all sorts of things coming at night. But in the morning, the phone's not ringing and you can have this devoted time. And so I I did that. Uh, I had a disciplined work schedule. So I'd leave for work at 6 a.m. And then I'd come home at 6 p.m. for dinner. I didn't have group meetings at night. Once I was home for dinner, we'd have dinner together. And and then I I put the kids to bed, starting with the youngest and working my way on up to the oldest. And I had that time with them as I was putting them together to bed to pray with them. And we had this saying that that isn't it great that that uh, um, I'm the last one to see you at night and I'm the first one to see you in the morning. And uh, this, this is what it was. And so I, I, I enjoyed being a father. It was a lot of work, but I enjoyed it. And I, and I did it all through my career because my first daughter was born when I was in graduate school. My second child was born when I was a, a, a uh, postdoc. And my, my two sons were born when I was an assistant professor. Uh, colleagues have asked me how. There's Rick Smalley. He won the Nobel Prize in 1996. He's the one who recruited me to Rice University uh in, in nineteen ninety nine I was recruited to Rice University and and uh um he had been through multiple marriages, multiple broken homes and he used to ask me, Jim, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you have this family that loves you, this wife that loves you? And uh he ended up coming to the Lord a few years before he passed away from from uh um from leukemia, about two and a half years before he came, came passed away. He too came to the Lord, came to faith in the Lord. Uh So you, you can work hard and have a balanced family life. So in Journal of Organic Chemistry in 2007, I was asked to write about my career. And I wrote this in that article. I submitted 37 proposals in my first 36 months as a faculty member. And most of those as a single principal investigator since collaborative proposals were less common in those days. So I was submitting more than one proposal per month in my first three years. And that's when, when computers were not as good as they are now. Uh, you, had to, you had to make like a dozen copies and check every page and physically mail it into the National Science Foundation. None of this last minute uploads. And the computers for, for graphics weren't like they are now. And uh, uh, so in, in spite of that, I worked very hard. So I know what hard work is. But this is what I also wrote in that article. On the days of receiving the declination of funding letters from the National Institutes of Health, sadness certainly followed. I would always call my wife, Shireen, because she was repeatedly there to reassure me of my self-worth, and my children were still there to call me, Daddy. Hence, I endeavored to dwell only momentarily on the harsh, sometimes even unnecessarily personal comments of the reviewer's. Your family can be your greatest strength. Don't trash your family for your career. Your family can be your greatest strength. And on those days when, when I felt like my world was going to crash because, because I wrote, worked so hard on these proposals and they were not funded, I'd come home and my kids would just call me daddy. And Shireen was always there to encourage me and to say, you can do this. I know you're going to be successful. And I thought, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. And uh, you need family around you. And it encourages you. And when the kids start playing with you, I mean, it's just life's good. And uh, so I encourage you, no, don't trash your career. Uh, don't trash your family for your career. Well, is there a prescription for thriving in the Lord? And I mean really thriving and doing well. Well, the Scriptures tell us there are. And there are a lot of Scripture passages on this. And I'm just going to share with you with just a few of them. It says in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The Scriptures say, right here, whatever he does he prospers. Now, prosperity in the Lord is very different than prosperity in the world. Uh, jo- uh, um, Joseph, who was Jacob's son, he was was uh, uh, kidnapped, sold into uh, slavery, thrown into jail, and it's said over and over again he was prospering. The Lord made him prosperous. So prosperous is not what's happening here. It's prosperous on my relationship with God and what I'm doing with the Lord, in spite of where I am in this particular situation. But this prosperity comes. It, how does it come? It says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. The scriptures put it two ways, day and night meditation or every day. If you will meditate on the word of God every day, every day, you will fall into this blessing where everybody else around you is drying up. You will be bearing fruit and whatever you do, you prosper. That is what that is what will happen with you. If you will meditate on the word of God every day. There is no promised promised blessing in Scripture for meditation on the Word of God three days a week. There's none. Maybe, Maybe there's a blessing. Maybe there isn't. I don't know. But the Scripture says it's for every day. You make the Word of God your meditation. What is meditation? It's opening the Word of God. Not quickly reading through it, but slowly, pensively saying, Lord, speak to me through your Word. Speak to me. And the Lord speaks through the Word of God because every word in the Bible is true. Every word, every page is dripping with the truth of God. Every word of God spoken and in, in, in recorded in the Bible is true. You follow it, you will be blessed. You don't, you won't. It is so clear. Is there a prescription for thriving? Yes, again in Psalm 119 verse 97 through 99 it says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. And I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Oh, how I love your law! It is my meditation all the day. There it is. You make the Word of God your meditation. What's going to happen? Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And it doesn't say, than all just your Bible teachers, it says, all teachers. The Word of God. You meditate on the Word of God every day. The Lord can give you more insight than all your teachers. That's the promise. I believe it, because the Word of God speaks truth. September third, nineteen ninety-three. I'll take you just through a few experiences in my life. I had just received tenure, and uh, I, had, I was an associate professor. And so I started in nineteen eighty-eight. So, I, all right, I guess I had already had tenure because by after. Three years, I got tenure. So by 1991, I had tenure. By 1993, I think I I, I was promoted to full professor. So even though, you know, I was still very young, but I I was promoted to full professor. And I was invited back to Purdue to give a a, a, a talk at Purdue where I had gotten my Ph.D. And I was staying in the Purdue Memorial Union, that building, very nice hotel behind it. And the, the students in restaurant and hotel management take good care of the place. And I was doing my normal practice. I was praying and asking God to bless the seminar. And I was reading in the scriptures that morning. And the passage that I was reading in the, that morning was from Matthew 21:21. Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And I thought, Lord, you are really raising my faith. So I pray that my seminar today at Purdue, and remember, it's a little bit daunting because I'm now presenting a seminar to my former advisor, my mentor. And uh, uh, this is who he is, uh, H. Nagishi. He won the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2010. Uh, this was back in 1993 when he was just a regular guy. I worked with him in the, in the 1980s when, again, he was, he was just a regular person. He wasn't a Nobel laureate at that time. But, but uh, whenever I brought him a result when I was a student, no matter how good it was, he would never say, oh, that's really good. He'd always say... Oh, pretty good for your level. And I never got past the man's waist. You just move his hand back and forth in front of his waist for your level. And and I said, "None of this is for your level stuff. It's it's really the best the, the best." I said, "Lord, if it's the best ever in that department, I pray that he would say that it was a super seminar." Well, when I got done giving my seminar that day because the Holy Spirit really anointed, he stood up on the front row and he said, "Super! Super!" Just held up his hand and he just shouted out, "Super!" And in his Japanese accent and God really answered and sitting right behind him was H.C. Brown, who had already won the Nobel Prize in 1979 for the hydroboration reaction, came down off the stage, took hold of his. I shook his hand and said, thank you for coming to the seminar today. And he held on to my hand. He said, I just want you to know something. That was the best seminar I've ever seen in my life. And the guy was in his 80s at the time. I said, that's very kind of you to say that. He said, I'm not saying it to be kind. I really mean it. God confirmed that that was the best seminar ever in that department. God does this type of thing. Here's an application of the scripture. I was upset with a colleague because he was, he was uh, speaking about me to some of the students. And so I, I just was, went across the hall to just really give him a piece of my mind. And as I knocked on the door, uh, he wasn't in. And then God reminded me of a passage of scripture that I had already been memorizing with my children at the time. It says, but I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. So as I stood outside his office, I'm now remembering the scriptures that I had been meditating upon and memorizing at the time. And God is saying, you are to bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So as a believer in Jesus, I am obliged to pray for those who mistreat me. So I decided, okay, I will do that. And I was... Ever since I was an undergraduate, I've been going to the chapel at noontime on campus to pray. And, and uh, uh, this was Rutledge, Rutledge Chapel uh, at, the, at the University of South Carolina where I had started my career. I was there from 88 to 99. And I would go right up there to the front of the chapel and I would get on my knees and pray. And I started praying for this guy every day. His career wasn't going anywhere. It just wasn't moving. And I started praying for him. And his career took off. He got a big NIH grant, and everything went well for him. And after about a a year and a half or something, he was doing so well, he got an offer from another university, and he took the offer, and he left. And I was so glad. I was so glad that he was gone out of the department. But God took care of my heart first, and then he could release this from my life when I learned how to follow his word. There is great blessing of following the scripture. You meditate every day, and you make it a part of your life. He gives you creativity. You know, in our field, in my field, it's creativity that really causes you to shine. It's, it's not how smart you are, it's how creative you are. And it says, it says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 2 and 3, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all craftsmanship. And you can read on in chapter 31 of Exodus, in chapter 36 of ex- Exodus, about Bezalel. God blessed him so much. He he became an expert in gold, silver, and bronze. Not just one metal, but all of the metals because because, uh, Moses had commissioned him to build a tabernacle. All metals he, he became expert in. Then he was an expert also in stone cutting and in stone setting. And he also became an expert in wood and in fabric and in perfuming and he became an expert in the ability to teach it. To others. He was the Renaissance man. He could just cover so many areas. You want creativity? You spend time in the Word of God and pray, Lord, make me like Bezalel. I pray this almost every day. Lord, make me like Bezalel. Lord, make me like Bezalel. Give me the creativity of Bezalel. That's what I pray for. And attaining peace. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants peace in their life. Here's what it tells us in in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. The things that you've learned and received and heard in me, that's Paul speaking, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. You practice the things that I just told you and the peace of God will come upon you. You want peace in your life? You practice these things. Now I'm I'm, going to address specifically those here who are unbelievers. I pray that you come to a knowledge of the Lord, because you will have no access to anything that I'm talking about, none, until you come to faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you my story, exactly what was told to me in 1977, I'm going to tell to you, the same story that was told to me, that, that uh, uh, impressed me to follow Jesus, I'm going to tell you. So, a young man, I met him in the laundry room, and he drew this picture. He drew people on one side, God on the other, and sin separates us, and he had me read this verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I read this verse in the Bible. He showed it to me and I said, I'm not a sinner. I didn't think I was a sinner. I thought it was a pretty good guy. And and, uh, I said, look, I've never robbed a bank. i never killed anybody. How could I be a sinner? Because I thought being a sinner means I had to physically hurt somebody with my hands. I had to physically steal something big. Not little, but something big to be a sinner. Then he had me read another verse. Out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. But I say to you that everyone. Who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And boom, I was convicted. I was deeply convicted because of this. Because I was addicted to pornography from the age of 14. I started working in a gas station and uh, I was cleaning the, the, on, on the highway and the businessman would throw away their their magazines on their way home on Friday nights. And and, uh, I picked up those magazines and I became addicted. So here I was, 18 years old. And from the time I was 14 to the time I was 18, I was addicted to pornography. Here I was, I had just gone to college, and I thought, here this man from 2,000 years ago has identified exactly what my problem is. And that is the first moment that I recognized that I was a sinner. It wasn't just what I do with my hands it is what's in my heart. It's what's in my mind. What's in my heart can make me a sinner as well. And I recognize that I was a sinner. He had me read another verse. He, uh, that he, It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift, gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I remember him drawing this arrow, this arrow down. You may do good works, but your good works will never get you across to God. It's not that the good works are bad, but they'll never get you across because you are a sinner. You are imperfect. God is perfect. You cannot get to Him. For by grace you have been saved. It's only by grace. And remember he described that grace means an undeserved gift. It's an undeserved gift that you can be saved. It's not of yourselves. There's nothing you can do to work to get this. Here it is. It is a gift of God. There it is. An undeserved gift. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast. He had me read another verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. And I remember him describing to me, this death means eternal separation from God. Eternally separated. That's what this death is. So the wages of my sin, what I earn because of my sin, is eternal separation from God. But there it is again. But the free gift... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a free gift, and that free gift is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ provides a free gift to me. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, He demonstrated His love. This is not love afar off. It's not just saying, oh, I love you. It is a demonstration of God's love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His Son died for us. His Son died for us. That means that while I was a sinner, it doesn't say that that I got myself cleaned up and then Jesus died for me. No, while I was yet a sinner. This salvation that I'm talking to you about today is not for good people. It is for sinners. The Bible clearly says Christ died for the ungodly. If you are godly, this is not for you. You go get your salvation somewhere else. If you are ungodly, if you are a sinner, if you have recognized that indeed you are a sinner, indeed there is something that you have done. The Bible says all liars are sinners. doesn't say just big lies, all liars. Can you tell me that you have never told a lie in your life? If you say that, you've never told a lie, you're probably a liar. We are all condemned In our own minds, in our own hearts, because of our sin. We know that we are sinners. And Jesus came and He says, I die for you. I give my life for you. I give my life for you. God takes His very beloved Son and He gives Him on our behalf. Jesus provides a way. And I remember He drew this cross where Jesus provides a way And, uh, that gets us to God. There's this very important verse in Romans 10 verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look what it says. You will be saved. How do I be saved? You do this. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Some people want to put other things on you. You gotta do this. You gotta say this. You gotta believe that. No! The Bible is very clear what you have to do to be saved. It's these two things. You confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. That he's raised from the dead and you will be saved. There's many other things the Bible may call you to, but in order to be saved, this is what you got to do. And it is this that gets you to God. And he drew this out on a piece of paper. There was no PowerPoint back then. There were no compute. There were no personal computers. There were no laptops back then. He drew this out, and uh, um, and then in November 7, 1977, I was in that room, Room 1812 of the Lawrence and dormitory. He had told me this story in August of 1977, and now November 7, 1977, I was in that room. That's the dormitory that I was in, and. I was all alone in that room. The door was shut. And I got down on my knees and I said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. Because I am a sinner. Forgive me. And All of a sudden, I felt this rush of forgiveness coming over me. This burden of sin that I had been carrying, knowing that I had, had, uh, was addicted to pornography, that I had looked at women with lust for them. That was actually the only way I knew how to look at a woman. I mean, I, w- I was so messed up in this way. And all of a sudden, this forgiveness of God came over me. And then, boom, something was, someone was standing in my room. And I remember looking to see who's standing in my room. I was shocked. And I couldn't see anyone. But the presence of Jesus was so real, right there, that I just started weeping. So real. His presence was right there. And I just started weeping. I wasn't scared. wasn't afraid. It wasn't condemning. It was this mercy and grace being poured out. Mercy and grace being poured out. I was just so blessed in that moment. Forgiveness coming over me like I had never known before. And the other thing that happened to me at that moment, which I didn't even realize until much later, was the addiction to pornography was just gone. Now, I had a lot of other problems that didn't disappear on that day. But God had used the addiction to pornography to show me of my sin, and He used the freeing of it to show me His power. I didn't know what to say. I came from a Jewish home. I was, uh, uh, came from a Jewish home. In Chinese, you say, Yotai. I came from a Yo Yotai home. And, and uh, um, I, I didn't know who to tell. And then two weeks later, the guy who had shared this story with me, he lived on the 18th floor with me. He saw me. And he says, Jim, have you, have you asked Jesus in your heart? I said, I think I have. Why do you ask? He says, you haven't stopped smiling for weeks. Something hit me that day. I was changed from that day. The Word of God started becoming open to me. All of a sudden, I could start reading the Bible and it made sense. I tried reading the Bible before that. It never made sense. I wondered, well, what's the fascination in this book? And then, boom, it started coming alive for me. I'm going to take you back to this verse. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I tell you, I share this Word of God with people. I share this Word of God with people all the time. And almost every week, I see somebody come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I don't speak to uneducated people. Where I am now, where I work, the people that I'm around, they're all educated. All of them, they're educated. They're either undergraduates or graduate students or postdocs or professors or physicians from the medical center across the street, across the, street the street from Rice University. And, and uh, I tell them this. I say, look, you know, I speak to people all the time. And exactly what I tell them, I'm going to tell you. I speak to educated people every week. And they go from not believing in the resurrection to believing in the resurrection. Now, what is the resurrection? When they put Jesus in the grave, he was in the grave for three days. He was dead for three days. And then he came alive, and he was seen by his disciples. He was seen, first he was seen by the twelve, and then he was seen by a lot of women. He was seen by over five hundred people at one time. Now hallucinations are not shared. There is so many, there are so many eyewitness accounts and historical Writings from those who were eyewitnesses that there is more written about the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other event of that era. So if you think, oh, this is just a bunch of nonsense. Well, then you have to take every other historical proof and call it a bunch of nonsense. Because there's more written about the historical Jesus and his rising from the dead than any other event of that era. So that's that's there. Jesus has risen from the dead, this historical truth. It's important that we we confess with our mouth that he's Lord and believe in our heart. But now I take you back to this. How is it, how is it that I speak to educated people every week and they go from not believing in the resurrection of Jesus to believing in the resurrection of Jesus in a ten-minute conversation like this? How is it that they can go from not believing to believing in a ten-minute conversation? Think about that. How do you think that they can go from not believing in the resurrection to believing in a ten minute resurrection? And most of them say to me, I don't know, how can it be done? I say, Because of this. Because the truth of Jesus' resurrection is already on your heart. It's already there. You would not be watching this Zoom call. You would not be watching this on YouTube. If you did if you were not among the elect. The truth of Jesus Christ is already on your heart. The truth of His resurrection is already on your heart. All I am putting before you is to confess that this day. To confess that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. This day you are to confess that. This is your day. Just like November 7, 1977 was my day. This is your day to confess that truth. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The truth of Jesus is already in your heart. God would never make the requirement that we believe in our heart. Believe in our heart means that everything within us we believe that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He would never make this as a barrier to salvation if it were not accessible by His placing that truth already on your heart. This is such a high barrier. He could have said, well... Uh, you just have to believe that Jesus loved the little children. If you believe that, then you be saved. No, he put this, that we must believe that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The truth of Jesus' rising from the dead is already on your heart. It's already there. The truth of His rising from the dead is already there. All I'm asking you to do today is to confess that. I'm going to bow in prayer. And I'm going to pray. And today is your day to give your life to Jesus. Today is your day. I have no authority to share this with you tomorrow. The Bible says, Behold, now is the acceptable day. Behold, now is the the, the, the acceptable time for salvation. Now today you say, Well, let me let me just go home, let me let me pray about this for a while. No. That's an act of disobedience. The Scriptures say in Psalm 119, verse 60, I made haste and I did not delay to keep your commandments. It's immediate obedience to this. He's calling you right now to give your heart to the Lord. Right now we're going to pray. And I'm asking you to speak this out, to confess it out loud as we pray. This very prayer, to confess this with me. And this day you will be saved. You will be saved this day. Let's pray. And I ask you to speak out this prayer. Whether you are saved or unsaved, I'm asking you to speak out this prayer with me this morning. Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner Lord Jesus, come into my life because I believe that Jesus is Lord and I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. I believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, Lord, I pray for those who took on this prayer today for the first time in their lives to really believe that Jesus is Lord and he's risen from the dead. And I pray, Lord, that you would seal this in their hearts and now open their eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Open their eyes. Lord, bring them into fellowship to be a part of the Word of God. Lord, I pray that You would work in their lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. And now I'm going to just, just say a couple other words to you. I'm going to stop sharing my screen. And I'm going to just speak a couple other words to you. So. For those of you that prayed this the first time, you now owe me something. You owe me something. And what you owe me in return, if you prayed this prayer for the first time, what you owe me in return is you owe me to send me an email to tour, T-O-U-R at rice.edu. Tour at rice.edu or you can just Google Jim Tour and it will come up. You owe me an email to tell me that you gave your life to the Lord Jesus this day. That's what you owe me. You owe me that this day. And you let me know. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hook you up with somebody that can begin to teach you more in the Word of God. It might be Junyao. might be somebody else on this call. It might, and, and uh, But I'm going to hook you up with somebody where you can begin to get some teaching because that's really important that you get some teaching. And as the Lord has entered your life, you're going to see there's going to be a change. You're going to start thinking a lot about Jesus right now because He's the best. He is the Son of God, all-glorious. You will think a lot about God. And your decisions, the things that you say, the things that you do, you're going to start thinking a lot about things. And you're going to think about what would God think of this decision? And this is what's going to come on your heart. And you're going to see that those are indications of the salvation that's come upon you. And you're going to have this new ability to understand the Bible and the Word of God. This is so important. Don't let this day slip by. If you didn't receive the Lord, I challenge you, do it this day. If you didn't receive the Lord, if you are not a believer and you did not receive the Lord through this time, I want you to also send me an email and tell me because I want to meet with you one-on-one via a Zoom conversation. I want to have a one-on-one discussion with you. But many of you, I know, have already prayed that prayer. And now, now you have to tell me that by Zoom, Let me by, by email. Let me know. I thank you for joining me in this time. I thank you for allowing me to come in your lives like this. And uh, thank you, Junyao, for inviting me. And God bless you folks. I'll turn it back over to you.